You're listening to the Dark Depth Podcast. My name is Billy Mitchell, and I, along with my co-host Michael Mapson, appreciate you taking the time to listen to the show every week. It takes a lot of work to make a podcast, but we are proud to present our show to you each and every week. We would love if you could take a minute out of your day to follow the Dark Depth Podcast on Twitter, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to our show. If you feel up to it, you can also give us a donation on PayPal or support us on Patreon. Don't feel like you have to, though. Our show is always going to be free. That's all the announcements. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Dark Depths Podcast, your go-to place for the modern and legacy formats. I'm one of your hosts, Billy Mitchell, and I am here with the forgotten archangel himself, Michael Mapson. How are you? I'm very distraught that people forgot about me. I mean, it's hard to forget about you, but I mean, it happens sometimes. It's been a long week for people. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing okay. Uh, it's been, uh, let's see, trying to transition back into the classroom after uh, the cruise has been going, yeah, it's fine, I guess, I'm trying to uh, rein in one of my classes, but for the most part, it's been pretty solid. One could argue that's your fault for going on a cruise. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not the best time to go on a cruise, but uh, I, reg- I have zero regrets. Um, everything worked out in my favor, and I have the I have the days off, so I'll do it again. <laughs> Hopefully not, probably not again next year, but uh, I would do it again. I, I think, I still think for, I think we for anybody, right? We talked about this before, like, people do not use their days off nearly as much as they should, and, like, people who, like, let their days off expire or something like that are just, like, actual madmen, so... At least I got to use them. Well, how's yeah. your week been going? Um, it's been okay. I um haven't really done much. I uh, had a chiropractor appointment yesterday. Okay. Um, have another one tomorrow because my back is seriously messed up. Yeah. Um, I know some people think chiropractors are just there to take people's money, but like I don't know. Gone to them before, and they are. I think they're wonderful. So I'm excited. Yeah, I think anything that's like body maintenance, I think is like well worth it like i know i think you did this before like those like float spas i have not done one. Oh, i thought you had okay no my wife has I've, I've heard good things i mean she said it was amazing um i know that like you have to put like um like any open cuts or anything like you have to like put like uh i don't know what to call it but something on it to like seal them before you get in and i'm very bad at knowing when i have cuts um <laughs> and uh so, like, I don't think it would be a good experience to just get in and, like, all of a sudden I'm, like, burning somewhere. Like, mm. I don't know. I should probably try it, but, uh... Is that, like, I guess the salt content is the issue? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I was... A, maybe, I, maybe it's not even bad. Who knows? Like... Yeah. I don't, but <laughs> I know I'm also not experimenting, so... That's fair. Yeah, like, was it because of, like, the... Imagine, like, the thought of, like, you know, zero gravity and stuff. I was imagining, like, your veins were just, like let the blood flow out of your veins or something crazy like that. Like, oh, God. <laughs> they open it up, like, 20 minutes later and it's, like, red and pink. You're like, oh, God, the blood. I'll check into that. Well, we can check into that later. Uh, <laughs> how about we talk about the magic here? Yeah, I mean, I guess. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, let's... And I guess we get to do, actually, rather than focus on something that's happened recently or some MTG news, we actually get to talk about something a little bit more broad and hopefully something that 
uh, people can listen to and hopefully kind of expand their own thought process about how they approach magic and especially magic tournaments. Um, I think if our viewers will hopefully agree with us um, that if there's one thing that you and I do very well, besides um, obviously playing graveyard-based decks and playing land-based decks, um, is that we prepare for tournaments particularly well. So I thought it'd be cool uh, if we ran through our process of actually how we choose decks um, and let's focus on modern because I'm modern is a format that um, needs, I think, a little bit of love here and there. And I think people, like, you were mentioning, I think, earlier that there's a lot of like PTQs coming up in modern right now, right? In the next month or so? Yeah. Yeah, next month is going to be like a, a very busy month for Moto, I think. Okay. So I, this seems like a perfect opportunity then. We can talk about what. Uh, what we play, how we how we pick <laughs> decks that we play, and you know, kind of how to approach different formats. So, awesome. Um, now, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, I don't I don't know what the right word is, but I'm gonna just throw out there that you said uh, we pick decks really well. I, I mean, <laughs> I think we try. I don't I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I just kind of like throw darts and see what sticks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not a good approach i mean sometimes i do it really depends on the event honestly yeah well i mean we also like you especially i want to i want to i'm going to pick on you for a little bit like with the weekly events because we have we've weekly events at um alternate universes on mondays like you have the option to you know play a deck that you've tried that's tried and true or you can play a deck that's like super fun and kind of loose right and you know you're playing with house money playing with store credit for the most part so it, it kind of incentivizes you to not pick a deck as seriously, I'll, I'll say. Um, but you also play a good range of events where, you know, not that you play FNM, right, at, in particular, but between, like, the weekly events um, and then... I play FNM. I play FNM every week. Do you really? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Okay, so I guess between FNM... <laughs> uh, AU does Legacy FNM now. It's awesome. Oh, they do. That's right. So between, like, Legacy FNM at the low end and then, you know, traveling, you know, multiple hours to, like, the Legacy Pit open, for example, right? That's a large uh, spectrum of events that you may go to and say, okay, well, I don't care. I just want to have fun and enjoy my Friday night with my friends. Or this is, like, I drove hours for this and I booked a hotel. I've already invested so much money in this. I need to make sure I have a strong finish. So I think that also kind of affects, you know, your deck decisions, right? Because the average tournament you're playing is not those high-end events, it's the low-end events. So, even if you are choosing the, you know, a, a fun option or a poor option, whatever, right, that may happen more often, but that's just because of the quantity of events you are playing that are F&M. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, if it's more than, like, two hours away, I generally actually try. Hmm. Um, like, honestly, there was a Legacy event last month that, like, I didn't even know what deck I was going to be playing. Like, I brought multiple decks i was loaning one out and i just said hey p- pick a box i'm gonna play what's in the other one yeah um it's fine <laughs> i cashed the event that's all i meant <laughs> also oh, so nice. i decided to to get on to um to the mothership okay. um, to use old terms and uh see um when these qualifiers were so for anyone who's curious yeah october 15th october 17th in October 25th, or 24th, there's a modern PTQ on Moto each of those three days. And then there's also a legacy one on the 23rd. Okay. So, a lot of modern, one legacy. Plus there's the 
MTG Vegas coming up, so even more modern. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Um, yeah, I, I will not be at that Vegas event. Um, it is. We actually I talked to my wife about it, and she's like, "I mean, we you could go, but also she's going to be like much too pregnant at that point. So <laughs> rather than risk her trying to chase around a child by herself, I, I think it's probably better if I just stay home." I will, uh, I think I am going to be going. Uh, it's not set in stone yet. Uh, this sounds really dumb. I told my boss, so I'm also going away for Thanksgiving. So I told my boss, um, a condition for me getting off that weekend was that I, um, I had to be able to work on the 17th, the day, like the day before Thanksgiving, not even a full day, just a half day. He needs me a half day. It's not bad. Um, so I'm pretty sure that I'm going to Vegas, coming back. Working Tuesday, and a half day on Wednesday, and then turning around and flying back to Vegas. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what's Okay. Uh, it's not set in stone yet. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous. But, it does. Um, but I'm also I'm also very lucky in that I don't think I'm going to be paying for any of the flights myself, which makes it more oh, acceptable. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So and even even the flights to Vegas, like you can get a round trip right now for like under two fifty. So yeah, that's not bad. All right, let's talk about um, the format kind of at large first before we get kind of get into our individual I guess approaches to picking decks. Um, I I kind of want to shout out this video that Yamakiller made. Uh, it's from last month, but I still think it kind of holds up uh, t- for today. Uh, but it was called The Four Pillars of Modern. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, uh, there'll be a link in the show notes. Um, very interesting kind of viewpoint about the format in general. So we normally talk about the um, essentially any format in terms of um, aggro decks, mid-range decks, control decks, combo decks, tempo decks, right? all these um, kind of macro archetypes. Um, Yom Killer went and actually kind of thought about the format from a different perspective, um, kind of what's the most what's like the central rallying point for a lot of these decks and there are are a couple things that get missed looking at the format like this Uh, but i think this is a really good broad way to look at the format um the format kind of central uh focuses around these four pillars right as yamakiller calls it um there are your luris decks there are your drc and ragavan decks there are your urza saga decks and then there's like I'll, I'll call them Cascade and Friends. Um, so your Luris decks are focused on trying to abuse uh, Luris as much as possible. Um, you know, as a, kind of a plan B. They have a, usually a powerful play, plan A. Um, if your DRC decks that do have um, some aggression associated with them, obviously there is some overlap, overlap in these categories. Your Urza Saga decks we've seen too, and once again, a little overlap with some of the Luris decks. Um, as well. The Cascade decks, um, really focusing on like things like Rhino and uh, Living End. We also saw that, uh, I can't think of what the card, the Warp World um, Cascade spell, I can't think of what that card's actually called. So in like in addition to these pillars, you also do have some things that I think are kind of noticeable, uh, notable, um, not oversights, but things that, exclusions, we'll say. Um, the big ones that I kind of want to bring up to uh, our attention when we're kind of talking about these formats at large. Uh, five color elementals. I think that deck is much too important to kind of be left off people's radars. 
decks like uh, Blue White Control is another one that kind of gets excluded here. Um, Blue Black Mill is another deck I think that is kind of important for people to be talking about. Um, and then also uh, the Indomitable Creativity deck. So I guess Mill technically is a, a Luris deck, but doesn't really hit that uh, note in my mind. But once again, normally you and I talk about decks in terms of aggro decks, mid-range decks, con control decks, and combo decks. So those are kind of the bigger things that I, I kind of think about, you kind of think about. In general, what what kind of decks do you do you lean toward? Uh, so personally, I um, lean towards, <laughs> I mean, land-based strategies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm definitely more on the aggressive side with my so, I mean it depends what do I like playing or what do I find myself playing for tournaments I I lean towards aggro strategies when I play events okay aggro and combo okay yeah I, I think I usually find myself in that more aggressive slant um to I, I think for I guess for a number of reasons too like if you're thinking about an actual long day of playing magic I mean aggro decks literally just give you more time to kind of live the rest of your life right <laughs> like um playing an aggro deck historically uh in i'll say standard right i think that's normally what i'm playing i'm actually on arena fire that bad boy back up uh there's a mono white aggro deck that gets to play like um like adeline uh which is the card we we're talking about basically just a better bramaz um you get to play a bunch of one drops and make other one drops and then anthem uh, anthem effects like that deck is my jam um, but once again, aggro decks have the benefit of being able to get a tournament done for you personally, at least a little bit faster and give you more free time, which I think is huge. I think people kind of underrate that when they're looking at, um, their own, you know, their own deck choices. Um, but I also do kind of go into the mid range category. I think I will transcend in there. I think there's some pretty good decks that allow some decent play. Like I've been playing a lot of shadow for example in modern and i think that deck has been uh definitely a, a more of a mid-range deck than anything else yeah uh, that's fair yeah would agree with that so in terms of deck well i guess we'll, we'll just go into kind of into the meat here uh when you are trying to decide what kind of decks you actually want to play for a given event. What what goes into that decision? Uh, okay, so for me personally, um, the first thing I do is look at the format as a whole. Um, and I want to look at, like, what... Like, okay, so... <laughs> I'm trying to think of, like, where do I actually start this process? Which I probably should have written down in advance. Especially since this topic was my idea. Um, <laughs> well, if you want, but, I can I can start and you can take a second to think about it. Sure, why don't you go first, say what you do. Okay. Um, so, my big thing, and I think I mentioned this in a previous episode, is that kind of looking in a format, I usually try to keep a rotation, especially when we're playing heavily. Uh, right now it's a little different just because... Uh, you know, we haven't actually gotten to play a high volume of modern events right now. Um, but typically what I do is I have um, three decks. So my goal is to have three decks that attack different parts of the metagame. So depending on what's happening, you know, currently, 
um, I can kind of pivot into one of those decks and be successful. Um, so the most recent uh, trio of decks that I had, um, I had Mono Red Prowess, I had um, a Collect Company deck, uh, I'm just going to keep that broad for right now, um, and then I also had Dredge. Um, I actually added to that too and um, was playing a little bit of Shadow, um, the Red-Black Shadow, this is a couple months ago at this point, um, but I had those kind of four decks rotating around. Um, and once again, the idea was when you're looking at the decks that are successful, um, this time was, I guess, early pandemic when I kind of stopped updating this. But I wanted to make sure that, for example, if people were continuing to play the continuing to play the Luris deck, right? And the Luris deck, if you guys remember, was the be- one of the best decks, I think. I'll say the best deck uh, for a couple months. Um, I thought that the Heliod matchup was really poor for that deck, though. So I was really focusing on having um, the Heliod Company deck already built, ready to go, in case yeah, I did go to a live tournament. Obviously, I wasn't going to go to a live tournament at that point. However, what happens when that deck becomes good? Well, people are targeting that, um, target removal uh, ends up being a little bit more effective. And when, I, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but when a deck is popular, certain other decks have to change the removal suite. So when Heliod is, I think, really popular, it's really hard to be sticking, um, you know, a 0-1 or a 2-2 or something like that, right? I'm not... I'm, I'm worried about things like Gutshot. I'm worried about things like Lightning Bolt. Um, things like Kalyan's, um Kozilek's Return. So rather than depending on that, right, I can play a deck that actually doesn't mind if it gets picked off one by one because I'm going to be, get be able to recur val- value uh, in other ways. So then at that point when that deck becomes popular, that allows me to transition into something like Dredge. right? And by having this kind of... Uh, cycle that continues to move on. Um, you know, maybe graveyard um, hate picks up, and dredge becomes um, an option, or doesn't become an option anymore. Maybe people start attacking Luris a little more aggressively, um, and dredge becomes the worst option. Well, now if they start attacking the graveyards, uh, maybe instead of playing a Luris deck or playing a um, graveyard deck like that, I can maybe move back to company, or maybe I can move back. Um, to like a like a model red prowess or something like that right so i i want to have this kind of rotation of decks that you can kind of pivot to and make sure you're in the right spot locally this is a little less important though and so this is kind of something i keep in mind for those larger events those when i we were playing SEGs um pretty constantly and um playing larger regional tournaments things like that um if you're talking about a local um, one thing, like an FNM or something like that, you can just play whatever you want, right? People are going to play the same thing week in and week out a lot of times. Um, but it, it really is a shame to go to a large event and go 0-3 because, you know, you're in the wrong week, right? Especially when it, it really does rotate in some sort of, you know, thick local cycle that if you, you know, pay a little bit of attention and focus on what people are doing today, you can hopefully predict what they're doing tomorrow and find yourself in a good spot. Um, that's been working for me pretty well. Um, the big advantage, obviously, is you have a deck that fits into the metagame very well um, and allows you to be, at, in my mind at least, most successful. Uh, the big downside is, though, you have to be really well-versed with a variety of decks. Um, and I, you know, even going through my example, I went from talking about three decks to, I think, talking about five decks when I finished. Um, having 
enough reps with five decks to feel comfortable um, can be time consuming um, and can also be kind of expensive, right? But not, I don't know how many people actually own five magic or modern decks at the same time. Um, maybe maybe some of our audience does, maybe some of our audience doesn't. But having um, that rotation can be expensive when you're talking about things like Tom Rigo, if you think talking about things like um, Earth of Saga decks in general. Um, obviously with Ragavan now, that is another uh, big um, expense. And especially talking about some certain types of decks because things like Hammer Time, for, exact, uh, for example, has very little crossover uh, with something like is a Tempo or like Elementals. One of the big advantages that I had before was that something like the Heliad decks and the Dredge decks, right? I could, uh, probably not the best example. I'm trying to think of um, <laughs> other cards from that. Um, I could play Bloodstained Mire, for example, I guess in both Dredge and I could play that in Shadow. So that's a, a card that, while expensive, does have a little bit of carryover and lowers the overall cost of uh, my, my a trio of decks you may have. Um, but depending on what you're playing, and once again, I think right now, between things like uh, Hammer Time, things like Mill, um, even things like Tron, if, you, if that's the deck you decide you want to play, um, you might end up in the situation where you do have... Th full price for three decks, so I do understand that could be expensive, but uh, once again, I, I do think it's a, at least a good way to look at the format. Um, especially if you can... You don't even necessarily have to own the cards even, too, if you could borrow them um, from a friend, something like that. Someone who doesn't play particularly often in those larger events, uh, that might be a good idea for you, too. Okay. So I thought... Okay. Okay, so you like to, to just have kind of a trio at the ready. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like my approach is very different. Um, I up front, I it, I guess it's worth mentioning. I'm very comfortable switching from deck to deck, like at a whim. Mm -hmm. um, I play a lot of Magic and I get bored easily. And I'm I'm just always kind of curious what's going on. So like anytime a new deck pops up that I think is interesting, like I try it out. So like I'm very used to just not getting locked into one mindset. Um, mm -hmm. There are the decks that I specialize in, obviously, like uh, if you're listening to this, you probably know me for either Amulet or Debs. Um, some people remember the old school Painter days. Mm -hmm. uh, even fewer people remember the old school Delver days <laughs> or Rugscape Shift. God, good times. Good times. Oh yeah, that deck was money. I loved that deck. Mm -hmm. I am. Um... Anyways, <laughs> so I'm very comfortable switching from deck to deck uh, at a whim and I'm also very fortunate in that uh, because of who I'm friends with I can borrow basically anything whenever I want um, I, there, I mean there's always at least like I feel like at every LGS there's at least one person where it's like if you're friends with that guy like you're set you have access to like four of every card in every format mm -hmm. um, thankfully there's like multiple of those around yeah we for I for I'll, I'll say for better or worse, no, I think for better, uh, we have a lot of friends who have very wide wide spinning collections. So regardless if it's for modern or um, legacy, it, it's not impossible to find four volcanic islands or um, you know four Earth of Sagas or something like that on a whim. Um, which you know I'm very appreciative. I understand not everyone has 
that ability, but uh, I'm gonna talk through my process and just understand my process is not gonna be for everyone because not everybody has access to everything, but I'm, I'm working under the assumption that like cost is not an object. Sure. Um, so the first thing I like to do is take a look overall at the format um, and think about like what has been putting up the most results lately um, what is the most popular? And those are often the same thing, but they don't always overlap. Um, like right now, I would say Just Guy Phoenix is probably the most popular thing to play against the Moto Leagues. Um, and I, I do think the deck is good, don't get me wrong. But the deck's also new, so it's not necessarily uh, putting up a lot of results yet. Mm -hmm. um, and like Esper Reanimator is another example of a deck that I've been seeing a lot of people talk about. It's putting up results, but maybe not as many results as something like the blue red mark tie deck is putting up more results. Um, but I, I think it's worth noting what you think will be most popular and what has been doing well. Because when you go to these larger events, like, you know, the decks that are doing well, in theory, you should see as you rise to the top. And the decks that are most popular, you're going to see because, I mean, that one's obvious. <laughs> People are playing it. So, mm -hmm. you know, play against it. Um, so I like to look there first to start off um, and make my list and I try to think about like what those decks have in common like okay are the top like here's the top five decks um, for now uh, since we're half focusing on modern um, I'm just going to take the, the top five from goldfish I'm not necessarily saying that's the best way to figure out what the top five are because it, but it is the easiest. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to assume like blue-white control, hammer time, merc tide, elementals, and rhinos are the top five like best and most popular decks in the format right now. So then I would try to think like, okay, what do these decks all have in common? Like, which actually, I don't think there's much overlap there. Um, no, they are five fairly diverse decks. <laughs> <laughs> um. But I, I would look at it and think, okay, if, if these five all went into battle against one another, like, which do I think would, would come out ahead? Mm -hmm. um, and that, that's part of why I like to think of, like, what do they have in common? Because that makes it a little bit easier to think, like, okay, well, if they're all doing this basic thing, they all should be weak to this. Like, this is the one of them that does that the best. Uh, again, these are, like, <laughs> very different <laughs> from one another. Yeah, so it's like, um, like one's, one's really weak to Child, but one's really weak to, like, Torpor Orb, and, like, one's really weak to, like, Void Mirror, one's really weak to, like, Graveyard Hate, and I don't know. <laughs> yeah, this is, um... Like, three of them are kind of weak to Spot Removal. Kind of. I mean, all, all these decks are resilient. Like, they're the top decks for a reason right now. Mm -hmm. um, but I... So I would look at which one I think is going to be favored. And generally that's where I start. I'm trying to play games with that deck and see what I like about it, what I don't like about it. And then like, I'll move on accordingly. Like I'll go to the next deck, see what I like about it, what I don't like about it. And uh, depending on how much time I have, I actually don't spend much time with each of these decks. I, I try to make thoughts as fast as possible with like as little games as possible. And you know, there's good and bad to that, right? Like, sometimes it's dangerous because you play, like, three games with a deck and you're just like, oh, I think X. But, like, your sample size is really small, so, like, 
you could just be completely off. Mm. Um, it's really important to look like kind of abstractly at it. Like uh, don't focus on your result, but focus on like how the games felt like, you know, you might go like two, three through a league with the deck, but it's like, how did the league feel? Like, was the deck performing well? Were the games close? Like, what were you losing to? So I try to get like as much info out of that as I can. Um, looking at, uh, in addition to playing it yourself, you can also just watch streamers, which is super helpful. And that also gives you a great oversight of what's going on in the format in general. And like, whenever I'm testing for an event I care about, uh, I'll typically have a streamer on like a screen nearby, not even necessarily with sound on, but just so I can kind of see two games at once. Like I can watch while my opponent's doing things and like kind of get twice the reps. Um, so I start there and I go through and I, I see what all those decks have, like what I think they're good first, what I think they're weak first, um, identify anything I think is like a flaw with the deck that for me is a reason I get rid of it. Um, and I make, I make my initial thoughts. Uh, it's worth noting, I will always lean towards more aggressive decks, which is something that I've already kind of mentioned. Um, so like if I was looking at those top five, again, Footfalls, Elementals, Merktide, Hammer, and Control, like it's very possible that I would just skip over Control for now. Um, if I have more time, I would come back to it later. And also that's, that's actually, so like you could argue it's a play style thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I actually do like playing control next. I just think in magic, like the best thing you can do is be aggressive. I like putting my opponent on the back foot and making them react to me. Um, like, I think when you play aggro decks, in a way you still are controlling the game because you kind of force them to react to what you're doing and you can control the pace of things. Um, so I, I just think uh, the cards are so powerful now that it's way easier to just like try to gain an advantage and keep that advantage than it is to like deal with answering these threats especially like when people are playing these powerful two for ones or like like a card like urza saga is so good against control strategy right and it's just mm -hmm. a land <laughs> like yeah. um or things like uh rhinos like casting shardless agent is so good versus control because like yeah a two two kind of sucks but like you're also casting um like crash of footfalls when you cast it so it's like now they have to answer your 2-2 but they also have to answer like your 4-4 four, four rhinos like yeah they might be able to counter it but then you're still up a card because mm -hmm. you still have this 2-2 two, two in play and they've spent a card so like um i really always kind of prefer being on the aggressive side but so i'll look at those and then from there i will look at um things underneath that are like not necessarily performing as well, but I think might be favored against them for one reason or another. Um, so like, I might look at this and say, uh, you know, I think, I don't even know. Well, Jund, like I think the, I think the Jund deck right well, now. I, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't actually play Jund, so I was trying to come up with something I would actually play. <laughs> Okay. I, I mean, the, the Zoomer Jund deck is good. Yeah. Like, and I think if you're if you're worried about something like the Tempo, right, they have a bunch of um, X1s um, that line up really well with Ren and Six. Um, you do have a decent ability to block on the ground, at least. You can save your removal for the Merc Tides. Like, I think that's a, a not a unreasonable spot to want to start. Uh, sure. Let's... <laughs> 
say that I go with Yawgmoth, though. Sure. Um, which is the deck I actually do think is well positioned, mm -hmm. um, which is not very high up. So, like, I would play that, and I would test my assumption. I would uh, get in games with it. Like, hopefully, I'm playing against the best decks. Uh, like, the issue, one issue here is like I play on Moto, and leagues can be hit or miss, right? Like, mm -hmm. sometimes you go in and you play against exactly what you want, and sometimes you don't. If it's an event that like is truly important to me, like I'll hit up friends and I'll be like, "Hey Billy, uh, can you play this deck for me?" And Billy will be like, oh, "Fine, I guess I'll do it." <sighs> yeah. I'm sorry, would that not be a reaction? No, that's, that's fairly accurate. Yeah. And granted, you know, again, you're relying on people, so like, have to have somebody who is capable of picking up a deck and playing it, or or understanding, you know, that these games are not going to be the most representative of what would happen, but they'll at least give you a general understanding of the match. You were talking about that last week, I think, or two weeks ago with Kellen, right? You guys were playing, like, a Delver Mirror, I think, and, you know, trying to get the nuances about what's going on. It's like, you play enough Delver where you feel comfortable with the deck, but he doesn't play doesn't play enough where he, he probably got the best line here but maybe the second best line there and the game might have turned out a little bit differently if, if you know someone like myself was playing yeah so it's uh it's worth keeping that in mind um so i look there and you know so i do that for as long as i can go okay i think this deck might be good let me try it out i think this deck might be good let me try it out um, and i keep my general heuristics in mind um and then Ultimately, I'll try to hone in on one deck and be like, okay, I think this deck did good, but here are some problems I noted with it. Like, what can I do to solve them? And then, like, you'll take a look at some sideboard choices or main deck choices and go, I don't think this card is good anymore. Like, you could look at John, like, old school John, and say, this deck isn't keeping up anymore. Like, this Liliana isn't good. And minus, and then my opponent just dashes Dragomon and it dies. Like, you know, you would. Liliana, and then you would play something else that's better in that spot. Um, and I do think it's worth noting also, like, people don't experiment with decks enough, I think. Um, I feel like the metagame is really pushed forward by the same people over and over. Just hmm. like, it's great that we have those people. Like, you know, somebody like Aspiring Spike, who's putting out tons and tons of new decks, is like awesome. But like, if he's going to be the only person working on the Dreskai Phoenix deck and making changes to it, like, the list isn't going to end up being optimal. And that's not me attacking him. That's saying he has his own way of approaching things and, like, you know, he thinks things out. Uh, and, like, he's, like, actually very good at brewing decks, but, like, mm -hmm. he puts them together in a way that makes sense to him. It doesn't necessarily mean it makes sense to everyone. So, like, it's not necessarily a perfect list. You should not be afraid to change it. But I will also point out, people, I think, change things before understanding why they're there, which is another dangerous thing. Um, so it's kind of a catch-22. Like, you really have to play, game, play games with the deck and understand why it's built the way it is. But once you do understand it, like, you should, you should make changes. <laughs> you should yeah. make it make sense. And also, like, address it for... Um, the meta you're expecting like there's a an old 
old, old article, uh, the the elephant message. I don't know, did you ever read that? Yeah, uh, the Mashwitz. Yes. Uh, I've been talking for a minute with, like, some water. Do you want to explain <laughs> the elephant method? Um, yeah, the elephant method um, basically is you have a, a deck, right? So rather than talk about it in terms of a 60-card deck, um, this deck is a, uh, say, a 100-card deck. Why not? Um, so my 100-card deck I'm going to take into a, a tournament, and I can pick whichever 75 cards I want uh, for each individual game um, during my tournament. Well, there's going to be some of those cards that get used more and more often than other ones. Um, it, and I have something like... Uh, we'll go back to talking about green-black, right? Um, something like Grist, I'm going to find a lot more uses for in a normal game. Something like Eldritch Evolution, um, Court of Calling, Yawgmaw, I'm going to want constantly. Same thing with my uh, Young Wolf and my Droth Messenger. But there's going to be some games where I don't want some of the cards that I find in my main deck or my sideboard. Like, there's going to be some games where I don't really want a Reclamation Stage. Um, I don't really need a Wall of Roots here. It's, I have to, they're going to board right me and it's just going to die anyways. Um, something like, um, let's say, Blood Artist, right? Where they're going to have that kind of um, Ley Line of the Void effect and it's just not going to trigger. Uh, and maybe I don't want Grist in every game, but I want it in 90% of my games. Right? But I don't want it in every game. Well, that's going to help shape what the deck actually looks like in the long run. right? Um, do If I want Yawgmaw in every single one of my games, regardless of the matchup, well, that's probably a card I want as a four of in my actual final product. Um, if something like Stranger Root Geist fits that same description, that's uh, obviously the same. Um, do I actually want four Dryad Arbors in, in my deck? Like, is there any matchup I want four Dryad Arbor? Well, no. So I'm going to, that's a card I'm going to have as a one of or two of maybe. Um, looking at things like sideboards, um, I don't want my Veil of Summer in my game ones versus a normal deck. Um, but I, I probably don't bring it in enough times to have it as a four of for those matchups where I do want it, those, those blue white control matchups, for example. So that's something that, instead of having a four of, I'm going to decide that's going to be a two of. Uh, Collector Roof is another good example there, where Collector Roof, obviously insane in some matchups, but really not useful in other ones. Um, so what you end up doing is saying, based on how often I'm bringing these cards in, um, and when I want them, and how often I want them, my deck is going to go from 100 cards down to 90 cards, down to 80 cards, and eventually I'm going to be able to iron out those last five slots, and decide what goes in um, a sideboard and what goes into the main deck. And Looking at this, I'm just kind of referencing this deck by uh, Demonic Tutors. Um, you do see some cards that, I don't want to say they're traditional uh, sideboard cards, but cards like something like Reclamation Sage is a, is a card that I could imagine very easily being in someone's sideboard. Um, same thing with something like Scavenging Ooze um, or Endurance or, uh, being could be in a sideboard or a main deck. But by trying that elephant method, you really do figure out something like Reclamation Sage, especially in a main deck, in, in a format that has an enchantment land <laughs> as a main deck spell, like, that is something I'm more than willing to uh, put into play on turn two off of a Ignoble Hierarch. Like, I'm very happy just going turn two Reclamation Sage, kill, kill your only land, or maybe kill your, um, or maybe Court of Calling for Rex Sage to kill your Colossus Hammer. Um, and that's something, by using this method continuously, you start to pick up. And then post-board, I don't need more Reclamation Stages. I want more Force of Vigor, something like that. 
Uh, and once again, that's the big benefit of that method. It does actually show you, um, and I think some people really do need that uh, physical, tactile experience with saying, I've actually brought this card in a lot. I probably need more of this effect in the main deck. Um, you know, I, I had scavenging goose in the main deck, but like I'm not really seeing a lot of those um, decks that I really wanted in, and I'm boarding it out a lot and bringing in, um, you know, the... Uh, the the reclamation stage or the third grist or something like that. I might as well just make that swap and put myself in a better position going forward. But yeah, well, I'll, I'll find that article too, and I'll put I'll link that in the uh, show notes. I, that's a that's one of the like seminal uh, magic theory articles, I think. Uh, it's from 2013. Wow, um, and it's, it's old. It is old. Um, I was not. Playing, uh, I might have been playing competitive magic when this came out, but like I would have just started. Wow, that makes me feel old. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like uh, even something like wait, "Who's the Beatdown," right? That was that was one I wasn't around for when it <laughs> first came out, but that that is just still good reading and it still still holds up after all the all these years. Um, yeah. but for to quickly summarize what uh, Billy was saying. Or I imagine he was saying I was getting water for some of that time. Um, <laughs> he wrote uh, at the top of his article, so these are his words, not mine. Um, a, a brief description of it is writing out ideal, writing out ideal realistic lists for all matchups, and then trying to make unique cards in those lists add up to seventy-five cards before deciding on the specific sixty of the main deck and the specific fifteen for the sideboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's a really lengthy process if you actually like go through and like fully do it properly um so like definitely don't do it for an event that like only sort of matters like i mean you can if you want like it's your life i'm not i'm not here to tell people how to live but like i'm not doing that for like a 1k i just don't care right it's not worth my energy um if i'm you know playing in a pt um yeah that's something that i'm willing to do yeah and go like talking about pt the um the PT I went to with Kellen, actually, um, he was playing a Kamano White aggro deck, and he actually did a really good job of saying, like, well, I, I want flyers in the deck, but how many do I want? Like, I can, like, I have this, um, four flyers I can play that are very good versus these three decks, but they're not good versus these other decks because they have enough blockers that they're, they're better in the air. Like, I can't beat a Tempest Jin, So, like, I don't want to have to deal with my two, two flyer dealing with that. But if I'm worrying about the, and I'm worrying about the mono red deck, right, they can easily burn that and it's not worth the cost. So maybe I want to play something a little bit more aggressive on the ground. Maybe I could play, um, I can't remember what what it's called, the um, Saga that made knights. But maybe I want more of that effect, or maybe I want um, more anthem effects, right? And like going through that process, and essentially that's what he did, right? He said, "I, I have this core deck that is going to be 50 cards, um, the last 10 slots are things that are up for debate, and I'm going to go through each deck in the metagame and say, you know, these are the eight decks I'm most likely to play during the Pro uh, Tour, how, what's the ideal configuration for me in the main deck and the sideboard, and for him, I, I think he ended up, like, top 32 in that Pro Tour. Um, like, that actually pays dividends for people. Three of Benalia. Yes, yes. Oh, God, that card's so good. Yep. I played standard then. <laughs> you know, I feel like I've played a lot more standard than I would like to admit to myself. It's, it's just... It, I mean, it, it's been pretty bad, though. Also, like, the last year was miserable. 
Um, but it was pretty good, and it seems to be pretty good right now. So if you're, if listeners, if you decide you want to be standard players as well, I mean, now's not a bad time to jump back in. Or, or keep my modern and legacy cues firing. Yes, which is also also pretty good. Um, so yeah, I mean, like fixing sideboards, um, it's a very reasonable place to to be, and like. I think uh, you would remember there's been a lot of events where, like, the day before the car ride down, like, we're writing out sideboard guides, and mm. I'll run, like, my sideboard plans through you, and you'll run yours through me. Like, it's definitely, definitely something to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, when you, don't, when you don't plan this stuff out, like, there ends up being a lot of times where you have a list, and you are in the middle of your event, and you play against, like, Mono Red, and you have 10 cards you want to bring in and only four cards you want to take out. Oh no. Like why, like why is this happening? And then you play against like combo and you have 15 cards you want to board out and three cards you want to bring in and just, it doesn't work out. Um, So it's definitely, it's definitely something that's good to think about in advance. Um, I've been like very cognizant of my, um, my sideboard with green, white. There was like, just one event where like I made some last minute changes and like didn't fully think about it. I was just in the middle of the event. I was like, what am I, what am I doing? Like, this is terrible. I'm never letting this happen again. And, um, you know, since then I, I feel like there's like one matchup where my numbers don't line up, but like, I remember my numbers like not lining up like once in like the past two months. So like, that's, <laughs> uh, I like, I've, I've put that effort in. Yeah, and like, a lot. There are a lot of decks too, depending on what you're thinking about. Something like, um, once I'm just kind of thinking about a generic deck here, but something like, uh, Blue Way Control. I can imagine you wanting to bring in your uh, Veil of Summer Earth, and I want you to bring in your Heroic inv- um, uh, Intervention, and you want to bring in um, your Duresses and your Thought Seizes, and you're like, yeah, like you like you said, you're bringing in ten cards, and you're like, well, I guess I'll. I guess I'll cut the kill spell and uh, I guess one prismatic ending. Is that good? I'll play 65 cards. Am I doing it? Is this math? Um, and like even even still, like this happens a lot with mono red decks, basically in every format. Uh, you start... There are some cards that, are, that don't do this um, to you or for you, I guess. Um, but there are some situations where you are playing against, like, Mono Red, and you just, like, bring in... Like, here's four obstinate Bailoffs. It's like, oh, okay, that costs four mana. Uh, like, what are you going to do for turns one through three? What's your plan What's your plan there? It's like, I have no plan, so I'm just going to cast obstinate Bailoffs on turn four, maybe. Uh, and then you end up in this situation where, you know, your opponent ends up, like, searing, blooding you, um, you know, killing your... Your creatures in the low end, stuff like that, because right? you don't have any actual early plays to transition into those obstinate bailoffs. So you do need to have a plan. And once again, unless you talk, in my experience at least, talking to somebody about it at least kind of reinforces the idea. It's kind of like when you uh, you write something and you say it out loud, and you're like, I just forgot the word the. Like, there's no. <laughs> let me let me stop for a second and rewrite that in. Um, having someone to bounce off those ideas, or at least to say it, uh, see it yourself. And looking at what your curve is, I think, helps a lot of people, um, especially when you're, especially when you do have some of these decks that are more of a menace in the format. 
um, something like Hammer Time. I know we we've been talking about as being a very very powerful deck, and I think you know recently has been one of the best decks in the format. Um, I can very easily imagine me playing Lurith, um, and you know, it's like, like I have I have all the Colgan's commands, and actually I, I have my deck list around here somewhere, but um, I have Colgan's commands, and I have Terminates, and I have Fatal Pushes, and I have Unholy Heats. Um, I'm gonna board all this stuff in, and I'm gonna get rid of, you know, I'm gonna get rid of my shadows because I I don't think they're gonna be good in this matchup because I'm gonna I'm gonna get blocked so so often or something like that. Right, and I don't want to be able to low life total anyways because they can just you know chip shot me to death, and then you end up with this deck that actually has no no win conditions, right? And I'm like trying to like murder my opponent with like Ragavan or or a DRC, like that's just not going to happen with that deck. So that's another thing to kind of keep in mind, especially with with sideboarding, right? Like, am I sideboarding? Is my sideboarding going to dilute my core strategy to the point where I no longer am able to actually win the game, even if I do draw all my sideboard cards? Like, do I actually have a functional deck? Another thing with this, moving past, like, the construction and getting the sideboard ready, uh, something that I didn't talk about is, um, and this goes slightly more towards the way that you said you approached uh, picking decks, is... I, I do think it's worth um, trying to figure out too. Like a lot of people, even if they switch between decks, are there is one deck that like they are kind of best at, mm-hmm. um, and I I do think it's also always worth asking like, is that deck playable? So like, yeah. for me, the deck in modern that I'm most comfortable with is Amulet. Um, and granted, I haven't been playing it as much, so I'm definitely not like as like smooth with the deck as I would have been like. A year or two ago, but sure. like, I could pick it up and I would be I would be comfortable. Um, and again, you know, I switch between decks fairly often, so I'd be comfortable with a lot of things. But like, I would definitely be comfortable with Amulet. The question is, like, I would have to ask myself at some point during this process: Is Amulet playable? Um, and that, that maybe that's like the first thing I want to ask myself. Actually, like once I've looked at what the metagame looks like, like, do I think Amulet can compete? Um, let's say I say no, that's when I would move on to the rest of what I said. But let's say I say yes, like, I would play it and tune it for the metagame and then if it doesn't work, I would continue with uh, with my plan. And even if it does work, even if I start playing it and I'm like, wow, yeah, this is just as great as I remember, I would still move on <laughs> and uh, work on figuring out other things because you're already good with that deck. You can mm-hmm. just come back to it. Yeah. Like, if you are already, like, if that's your deck, then you can probably theory craft for it way better than you could for something else. So you, instead of like spending a week, like tuning it, like I might need to do for like Dogmoth, a deck that I'm really bad at, um, you know, I could like come up with an amulet list I'd be happy with in like a day. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm really bad at Dogmoth. I don't know. It seems like a really straightforward deck. I don't know how you would be bad at it. I don't. Know. I I don't. Are you serious by calling it, saying it looks really straightforward? Yeah. I don't think it looks straightforward at all. And also, though, I am a big fan of creature-based combo decks, so it does seem like the kind of deck I should be good at. And, like, you know, I'm sure if I played more games with it, I could get it. Like, I don't know. Every time I play it, I'm just like, all my cards suck. And then whenever I play against it, I'm just like, all their cards are unbeatable. Like, it's one of those for me. I feel like I'm going to, like, just, like, play... Once we're done with this, I'm going to just, like, play this real quick in 5-0, and then we can... I'll, I'll probably four one to be honest. Like, yeah, I, go for it. The deck's really good. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Like, it's well-positioned, powerful. I don't know. I was watching um, Demonic Tutors, a.k.a. Ed D'Amico, stream at some. Uh, try to pick it up. He's been playing the deck, and he's also just a very strong Magic player. Hmm. Um, has, like, a very good resume behind him. So, like, hoping uh, hoping I can learn a thing or two. I don't know. It, it does, like... I don't know. I just... <laughs> Yeah, it, it definitely. Just need more reps with it. Yeah, I, I think so. I think you you, you could pick that up. Um, the the one thing I kind of going off that same vein, like I do think there is there are some decks that like regardless of what you're doing, like maybe it is just the best thing for you to be doing, like especially if you're not uh, not able to devote the time, right? Like if you already are very proficient with something like elementals, right? Um, maybe that is your best option, right? Rather than trying to you pivot your deck, right? Just you adapting your deck to be better against the expected meta game. Because that is, I think, a, a skill in itself, right? And I think we're seeing the uh, uh, Legacy, I know we're talking about Modern right now, but in Legacy we've seen the um, Blue Red Delver deck, quote-unquote Delver deck, um, trying to transition itself to be a little bit more effective in the mirror. Um, I, I could imagine you ha- playing something like Elementals and just saying, okay, well, I'm going to play Elementals, and I am going to try to make sure that I can beat uh, is it um, is it Tempo uh, Blue Red Merc Tide and Hammer Time as often as possible, and I'm going to say my Crashing Footfalls matchup and my Blue White Control matchup are, are less important. So, what can I give up in the main deck to help those two matchups here? Um, and that I think is actually a, a worthwhile strategy too, especially if you are proficient uh, with the deck already. And like you said, you can theory craft. Um, a game plan for those that hopefully is going to be uh, relatively effective, right? And maybe that's something like you playing, uh, focusing more on the solitude plan, um, and worrying less about, you know, you know, dealing with rhinos or dealing with, um, you know, the plan B about what happens after um, a a counter spell, or a wrath spell, um, out of blue white. It's funny to hear you say that the elementals players might want to like you know focus on hammer time. Uh, I know we're just kind of using modern as a backdrop and using examples, but like, have you ever seen the Elemental versus Hammer Time matchup? I have not. It's a joke. Elemental <laughs> dumps on Hammer Time. Okay, good. It's uh, like I, I don't know. I like I, I don't want to say it too definitively because I don't want to get people like emailing us like I will have you know, as Hammer Time, I, you know. Yeah, um, this list so is like, playing four Furies and four Solitude, so I feel like the creature matchups are probably probably decent. Yeah, and Foundation Breaker in the sideboard, mm. and like Force of Vigor in the sideboard, just like and Ephemerate. Like, yeah, God, Ephemerate's so good. Yeah, I, I've just like watched games where like the Elementals players, they think just like make suboptimal choices for like three or four turns in a row, and it's like still not close in their favor. <laughs> So, okay, well, I guess let's do this then. Like, if I'm playing five-color elementals, like, that deck's already a, a joke, right? Like, how about I try to... I, I try to take away some of the percentage points from that matchup, and what can I do to make my blue-white matchup a little more, a little better? Like, maybe that's kind of what I, I could be focusing on. Like, once again, if if I already have four Furies and four Solitudes and the four Ephemerates and the four Prismatic Endings... Um, maybe I'm good that with that, but like that doesn't really line up for blue white. So maybe I'm cutting some number of like a fury or cutting some number of prismatic endings and trying to 
play like planeswalkers or something like that. Maybe um, going up to one, maybe two Jaces. Uh, like Jason Mind Sculptor helps in that blue white control matchup. Um, Dude, Canister's on Teferi 5 right now. Oof. Five board. Okay. Control. I can do that. Teferi 5, I like that. Give, yeah. give my hero. I was actually one. wondering um, is it time for Voice of Resurgence to make a comeback? With these elemental decks, and I'm not. I'm not saying it's good. Sure. Uh, I'm also not saying it's bad. I literally don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just like thinking about it yesterday because, like, it, so voice is obviously super weak to prismatic ending, mm-hmm. um, which is like one of the most played removal spells right now. But I was like, it actually seems like pretty good. Like, if blue white control is just like the most played deck, like obviously it's good for a supreme verdict, good against counter spells. Even though a lot of elementals is good for his counter spells. But I also mm. just feel like there's a lot of instant speed stuff in the format. And like yep. Zoomer John is really popular and like the blue red Merktide deck is really popular. Like I don't know how like those decks don't seem like they stack up well against uh voice resurgence, just like making huge tokens or like Yeah. I don't know. I, that, I mean that tracks. Being strong against Fatal Push slash unholy heat. Yeah. I mean, I could, yeah, I could definitely see that being, being an option. Yeah. It might just be wishful thinking, but I, I don't know. I mean, I still think exiling, like, I think having solitude in this format, I think, is, is huge. Uh, being able to exile things, and it, I think it does, the way the format kind of lines up, it does promote you playing at instant speed, um, especially with decks like this, um, and having to deal with things like ephemerate and things like that. Like, you do need instant speed interaction. Um I know, I think they're playing the, the Mole Drifter Ephemerate combo, and that's one of those things where, like, you, if you, if you miss that window, like, you're just gonna get bird and card advantage, so. Um, and I could, I could imagine that, um, having a hedge against Intipede Interaction in your deck in the form of Voice of Research would be really nice. Dude, how mad would you be if you're the control player, and you, like, evoke your solitude to hit their voice for resurgence and then they ephemerate it <sighs> so good yeah that what's that like a eight for one that i don't i can't i can't even count that high i don't know it's a lot of card advantage so yeah i mean and i think that is something like we we do see and like obviously I think we we focus so much on kind of the inbreeding of certain decks um, over time attacking themselves but you know it is important to imagine how decks would be shifting generally to attack other decks and uh, something like kind of like we're seeing with the elementals deck like I and I could be wrong too because I'm not a um, elemental player myself but I don't think they've always been playing for fury and for solitude I think that is a a good idea for the metagame right now because of how creature heavy um, certain decks are, right? In terms of uh, Hammer Time and um, the Blue Red Burk Tide, I think having multiple answers for um, the Dragon, I think, is important. I think having instant speed in- interaction for Hammer Time is uh, critical. But, like, you, you do see some stuff like uh, talking about Mill. Let me talk about Mill real quick. Um,. Where when you start looking at decks like um, a deck like Mill, uh, people have been making changes to the deck and making sure they have, I don't say more options, but they have been historically playing things like Eldrazi, right? Putting Eldrazi in the, in the deck as a way to 
uh, not get milled, right? And you start seeing people playing things like uh, Tasha's Hideous Laughter, and like obviously that's a deck, a card that I think is very strong on its own. But them playing Eldrazi is a push or hedge, rather, towards them trying to not <laughs> not die um, to this deck, right? Like, you're not you're not playing an Eldrazi mostly for the actual effect. Like, nobody wants to be playing Emrakul. Uh, but if you're going to be playing Emrakul, like, that's very good versus hit, Tasha's Hideous Laughter, because it, it obviously is a mil 15. Um, but otherwise, if they hit it with a, a Fractured Sanity or an Archive Trap, right, you're just going to shuffle your library back in. Um, so there are a couple other cards like that in, in that idea of theory crafting. Um, and, you know, maybe it isn't something like um, an Eldrazi. Maybe it's um, you playing a, a, a kind of random, I don't want to say random card, but a card you wouldn't normally play, um, an artifact that costs one mana because, you know, you're playing Urza Saga, and that kind of opens up the door. Um, you know, I was playing the... Can think of a Death Shadow deck and playing things like Seal of Removal. And Seal of Removal obviously works very well with Lurith, but it also helps a lot with um, DRC and helps a lot in the Rhinos matchup, right? So there are a couple more benefits uh, for cards like that, where instead of playing that, I could be playing something like a Colgan's Command instead, a little worse for uh, with DRC, but works a lot really just as well with Lurith. Um, and helps a lot in the matchup versus hammer time. So you do have those kind of flex spots in your deck that uh, when you are trying to, when you're in that debate phase, um, depending on what I really care about at the time, um, I can make the small changes and hopefully gain some percentage points. And um, once again, also lose some percentage points in some other matchups if I deem that's a unnecessary trade-off. Uh, so I think there's like three more points that I really want to hit on still. So, so I'm going to move us on a little bit. Sure. Um, another thing that I like to keep an eye on is decks where it's like, it hasn't really broken out yet, but like there's somebody who is putting up really good results with it. Mm. Um, I think those are always decks that are interesting to look at for events like this. Like some, some recent examples that come to mind was, I know Grilled Cheese was going on like a heater with... Um, like Agorio's Vengeance deck recently. And, you know, he, he posted his record and it was like, I think it was somewhere around like uh, 80, like low 80%. Oh, that's um, yeah, playing, um, playing like, it was Asmo, uh, Cookbooks, um, Wishclaw Talismans, Emrakul's, Agorio's Vengeance's, uh, like one of Bristlebrand. <laughs> Um, and like, I, I know Doomwake recorded a league or two with it, and I was, I'm actually in the middle of watching one right now, even though it's like a month old. Um, and like, you know, he used like three matches in, like hasn't dropped a game. Um, so the deck looks like super powerful. Um, but that's, it's the kind of deck that I think people would look at it on paper and go, oh, that's too all in. And like, people, mm. like, if a deck looks all in, people put it down, like almost yeah. immediately. Uh, so sometimes those decks don't catch on or like I know who Grilled Cheese is and I've known who he is for years um, but he's not like and I don't want this to sound mean like he's not super well known in the community like I think he, he's not an next whale or someone like that yeah like some of the more entrenched players know who he is but he's not like putting out a ton of content so like 
you know, he might have the best deck, and it's not going to necessarily catch on. Hmm. Uh, and, but like, to me, you know, I see it, he's putting up these results, I want to check it out. Especially because I know that's not like what he has been playing. Like, you know, you, you have your players who sometimes they play something and a deck gets bad and they keep playing it. Like I played yeah. against uh, someone on Phoenix uh, at Local Modern yesterday. And I was like, oh, cool. Like I was thinking about building it. He was like, yeah, it's really exciting. The deck's finally good. Uh, he's like, I never gave up on it. Like I've been playing it <laughs> oh. since before Faithless Looty got banned. I haven't stopped and I'm so excited I can win again. And I'm just like, that's respect. <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> Or like, I know Grilled Cheese has not been on Gorgon's Vintage since Faithless and he got banned. Mm. Uh, like, he was an amulet stand. So, like, you know, seeing him switch strategies so dramatically and then go on this heater says something, even if other people aren't putting up results with it. So it's like, maybe, I don't know, maybe he's getting super lucky and the deck's not good, but, like, maybe people just haven't picked up on it yet. Yeah. Or, like, <clears throat> uh, I mentioned last week, Eric Virgo uh, came up with this eggshell and like you know i played a league eggshell sorry (laughs) not on purpose yeah Uh, so like i played a league it was seemed strong played it at modern yesterday went very bad but the deck felt good despite a poor showing but like now um casey lancaster who's also been working on it like i mentioned and he just posted his record today with the deck and he's at doing the math off the top of my head, I think somewhere like 78, 79% with the deck. Okay. Um, over like uh, a handful of leagues. And like, that's pretty good. And that's another deck. I don't think people are going to pick up on it, but like, you know, I already bought those cards because I was like, this is going to be way too much fun to play on paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am, I don't know, I really want to put the effort in with the deck, but it's also miserable to play on Moto. Um, but you know, that's... <laughs> That's like the kind of thing that I'm going to keep an eye on because, like, I don't think people are going to pick up on it. But if he keeps putting up those results, it's like, I mean, Casey's also just an insanely good player. Yeah. But like, there's probably something there, and like, he wouldn't be playing it if there wasn't something behind it. Yeah, Casey does not. I mean, I don't know what Casey actually does day to day, but um, Casey is not the type of player just to, who plays the deck for fun. Um, he plays the deck because it has potential. I mean, he does also think they're fun. Too. Sure, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think he's going to make himself play a deck, but he, he a lot of the decks that he plays end up being um, contenders, in my mind. Um, it, once again, I don't think he's going to be playing... Uh, I can't even think of a deck, but he's not going to play mono... I'll say Merfolk. I don't know. He's not going to play Merfolk unless he thinks it's actually a good deck. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. So, like, um, I try to keep an eye on those because, like, that that speaks something. And, like, when you see that, you also, like, probably want to go and look, like, okay, um, you know, they're the only person posting results with this. And if you don't see what their records are, see how often they're 5 owing. And, like, obviously 5 don't mean everything. Like, maybe that person's busy. But, like, if, you know, if an archetype doesn't 5 for, like, six weeks in a row... Um, you know, it's probably not good. <laughs> Even if uh, one person is getting results with it, like, that's you know, probably not great. But, like, I, I do think it's worth, like, looking into those strategies and not just, like, writing them off off the bat. So, another thing is sometimes you have formats like the current legacy format, um, 
where you have one deck that is kind of standing head and shoulders above the rest. Uh, obviously, the blue-red tempo decks are just, like, crushing the competition. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in my games like that, you have, like, you have a couple choices. You can play the quote-unquote best deck. Um, two, you can play something to try to beat the best deck. Or three, you can, like, ignore it <laughs> and play something that you think is just, like, good against the rest of the field. Mm-hmm. Or, or four, you can obviously just do whatever you want and just, like, have fun. And But, yeah, I mean, like, if you're listening to this, I, I'm assuming that's not your... Uh... <laughs> your ML. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, uh, obviously, like, playing the best deck would look like playing Blue Red Delver. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe trying to beat the best deck is, like playing like blue red with urza saga or like you know i feel favored against it playing green white or some people play I'm trying to think of what else is good against that deck i was i played against somebody who i was playing blue red and it's like round one of a of a local 1k and i was like okay this will be cool and they go uh turn one cloud post it's like oh god i like this um <laughs> and like that's that's one of those matchups and like i Every, literally every time I play against the deck, I'm like, this is going to be a nail-biter one way or the other. And I think that's one of those decks, too. Like, if you start looking at other decks in the format, um, like, I don't mind being a Cloud Post player against um, playing against Depth, right? Like, I think that's um, a, not a terrible spot to be. So if you are kind of kind of considering that your matchup there, um, playing uh, Cloud Post, your matchup versus Delver is not bad. Uh, your matchup versus the depth decks and the lands decks that are, I think have been gotten more popular in the past couple of months trying to combat the Blue-Red Delver deck is not bad, then that makes the Cloudpost deck a, a pretty strong choice right now. Yes. So you have, like, that option, or uh, the ignored option would be look like something like playing Doomsday, where you're, like, really bad versus the Blue-Red Tempo decks. Yeah. Um, but you just kind of, like are really good against almost everything else that exists. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, those are, like, your three um, your three ways of approaching that, which uh, I already know the answer, but how do you feel about metagames like that? What, what is your approach? Uh, I just, I mean, <laughs> recently, and I, this is for Legacy, what I've been doing, I just continue to play the best deck. Uh, <laughs> I, I think, for the most part, and this this might sound cocky, but it, it, it probably should... Um, I am not afraid of playing the mirror versus basically anybody. Like I don't, I'm not really worried about playing uh, blue red Delver mirror locally, regionally, nationally. Like I'll, I'll just play that matchup and we'll see how the how the uh, chips fall. And you know, I don't win every one of the matchups, but I don't. I'm not going to get rolled by anybody either. So I typically have been doing that, and I think I have a good enough idea of the metagame that I can adapt to fight the people who are trying to attack attack me, even with the target on my back, I think the deck, if it's strong enough, has a good enough um, shot to be successful. Typically, when you get to that point where the deck... It, I think this happens a little bit more in in modern, but I think when the metagame's a little bit more even, uh, and I, I do think the Blue-Red Delver deck in Legacy is just, I don't want to say significantly ahead of everybody else, but I think it's far enough ahead where I don't really mind um, the percentage points of having or losing percentage points on having a target on my back and having dedicated cards for that 
for the deck. They don't really know what people are playing that really targets me specifically that I have to really worry about. And I don't think if that's, com if that's coming off right. But in a format like Modern, right, there, there does eventually hit, hit a point where, and I, this happened to me a couple of weeks ago, where um, my I had opponents playing uh, main deck Rest in Peace, um, four sideboard ley lines, four sideboard ley lines, four sideboard Rest in Peace, and I was like, we're just not doing this. Okay, I got it. I get it now. Um, so there is a point with certain decks Right, where you just have to kind of let it go. Like, if people are really going to attack you at that point, um, regardless of how deck, good the deck is in a vacuum, right, you just need to move on and find another deck. Um, and I, I do think that's one of the the upsides to modern, right? There, if you really want to attack any any given deck, you could, you could knock it out. It's just a matter of how much you're willing to commit to that cost. Um, that cause. And there's obviously such a wide uh, swath of decks that are actually playable in modern, that you devoting seven sideboard cards to one matchup means you're going to be missing stuff for another matchup. And you have to be okay with that, too. Um, but once again, for Legacy, I think it's a little different. I, I, I'm more than willing just to play Blue-Red and <laughs> have all, all the fighters come to me. So, uh, me personally, I... Um, It honestly depends on what the best deck is and how much I enjoy playing it uh, and how much time I have. Uh, I also don't necessarily hate playing mirrors. Actually, there's a lot of mirror matches that I like. Um, I don't have much experience with the current Pelver mirror match. Uh, historically, I actually do really enjoy Dover mirrors. Um, and, you know, typically I, uh, I, I have a good record in them historically, except Rugged Delver. I was not yeah. not a particularly strong rug delver player for some reason. That's fine. Uh, which I know I've mentioned on here before, but like uh, blue red, I was comfortable. Jeskai, I was comfortable, and then I don't know. I played with Tarmogoyf, and I was like, "What is this?" the The brief window where it was like the Sylvan Library era rug delver, I did like that. Sure. Also, this is a random aside. Can I play DRC along with Nova Mongoose? Is that is that fine? I mean, you can but you're probably gonna lose because you have number mind views in your deck yeah i don't know hmm. you okay. do you man yeah and it's awkward because then you're like number mongoose incentivizes you to play stifle but like dragon's rage channeler incentivizes you to not play stifle yeah yeah i just feel like i feel like tarmogoyf would be good enough metagame for legacy then play tarmogoyf don't play nimble mongoose but I want to play DRC, so DRC, Goyf, Ragavan, just do that. Yeah. And probably still Murktide. That card's really good. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, so I, 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 I do like playing uh, Mirrors, but I um, I also hate the feeling that like I'm being targeted. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I do like to try to sidestep hate. And, you know, Billy's probably right that the Blue Red Delver deck is, or Blue Red Tempo deck is, like, good enough that it's, like, kind of hard to hate on. It just feels like some people come so prepared. Like, it's so weird because I, I accept that there's always matchups you can't win. Hmm. But, like, when the matchup I can't win is because I sat down and somebody just has, like, seven or eight hate cards, I, <laughs> yeah. I get very frustrated. So I, I do like to try to 
I, I also, I, I do really like brewing. Mm -hmm. um, so that's probably part of this too. I, I like to try to beat the best deck. And, you know, I, I try to be realistic with myself. Like right now playing green, white versus blue, red, I feel favored. I don't think it's like the best matchup in the world. Like I've definitely lost to Delver players and I will continue to lose to them. But I also know I have um, won that matchup way more than I've lost it. Uh, a friend recently pointed out that like, it's possible that it's just that I'm good with, like I'm better with green, white than my opponent is with blue, red. Yeah. And so like, it's possible the matchup's not favored for me. Um, and that's always like a hard thing to like, be able to figure out, right? Um, but I don't know. In the meantime, I keep winning it, so like I'm gonna keep doing it. Yeah. Um, if the like, if I notice that one rate is like dropping significantly, then I it would change. Um, yeah. So I do think you have to be honest with yourself. Yeah, like, I was actually watching Caleb Durwald playing Mill last night, and his opponent just goes, um, "Turn two, Wheel of Sun and Moon." And he's just like, "Okay, I've got." Four Tasha's. I'm gonna try to Tasha you out of the game, and if I don't do that, you win. And the opponent just eventually, you know, killed him relatively quickly. And he's like, I can't beat that. Um, without that effect, he has an option. Like he could, he could actually have probably have won that game. But as is, there's nothing you can do. Um, and once again, like that is one of the match, uh, one of the situations, right? If your opponent, if one opponent has a Wheel of Sun and Moon. Sure. Like, they're not playing four. They, they're playing maybe one, maybe two. Who knows? Um, maybe one opponent has one Ember Cool on their sideboard. Fine. Uh, maybe one opponent um, has a Leyline of Sanctity, right? Uh, that's not a not an effect that you're seeing very often. And you kind of have to be able to separate um, the times where, you know, your opponent does get it. You know, the one or two of in the sideboard of games. Uh, and when your opponent is actually playing a four of, um of some hate cards and we're starting to see that a little bit more with like five color elementals uh where you see people playing torpor orbs in as a two or three of uh in the sideboard um and i, I do think it's a little different it's like some decks do mitigate hate a little bit more effectively because i i something like torpor orb is not end a uh, game over for elementals i actually think it's, it's actually really funny because you know with the um, evoke, right? You can you don't have to sacrifice it, which I think is actually really stupid. I think I think it was might have been Doomwake. Um, I was watching her, might have been Canister. I'm sure it's always Canister. Um, but literally, just like here's a uh, turn two Solitude, here's a turn two Fury, and here's a Nomnath on turn three. So ah, ta-da! Um, and obviously, I think Fury's just big. <laughs> Fury, it's a three-three double striker. Like you. Yeah, that is the, that is the hardest creature to kill, especially in combat on turn two. Like that's not normal. <laughs> um, and like elementals, obviously torpor orb is one effect you could be playing. You could be seeing people playing void mirror, which obviously deals with the evoke creatures themselves. Um, you know the the free evoke creatures doesn't deal with Moldrifter. but like I think that's a powerful effect. But like you can also just play your spells for their actual cost, right? Um, so you know those are two cards um, in Void Mirror and in Torborb that any deck can play other colorless, but the, it mitigates, the deck mitigates hate a little bit more effectively. Uh, something like Crashing Footfalls has been, uh, a big kick-up has been a um, little bit of Void Mirror, but mostly Chalice of the Void, right? Just Chalice on zero, you can never cast Crashing Footfalls. I mean, true and true and not true, right? Because I 
I'm playing Raven Bar, I can just bounce it um, and then cast my um, Crashing Footfall then. Um, and I, I think something like Hammer 2, obviously we do have a lot of effects that kill artifacts and um, destroy creatures, but you're also playing Lurith in your sideboard, getting back um, a, a Hammer or getting back a um, Pure Steel Paladin is not end of the world. Um, so once again, I think it does depend on some of the decks, because something like um, Jun, something like um, you know your Lur Grixis Lurus decks, uh, something like Mill, something like Living End, I think even takes hate a little bit worse, right? When that does come up, um, it, it is. I think something like um, Soul Guide Lantern is a much bigger, uh, you know, kick in the pants for Living End um, than some of the answers you'll see against something like Amulet Titan, for example. The third, the third option that I mentioned for Legacy was uh, the Doomsday option of ignore the best deck exists and just beat everything else. Hmm. I, I don't know. That makes me uncomfortable doing that. Yeah. Uh, I think it makes you uncomfortable too. Yeah, it does. It, it um, you're just giving up so much agency. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like magic is so much about you know the things, the choices you make, the sideboard you have, and um, how you decide to play matchups. And I think when you just say, you know what. This is a terrible choice. I should not do this. I want to do it. Like, at some point, uh, this is my big thing. Like, my time is very, very valuable, right? Like, I... I oh, can... mine's not. <laughs> well, I mean, like, even even still, like, you... I, I'm My time is going between, you know, me grading and me being with my wife and my child. Um, but you still have a family. Um, you still have, like, to enjoy, like, um, time that you're deciding to, you know, jam doomsday at an event that you know is going to be 30% Delver is time you could be playing guitar instead, right? So there there is a cost to everything. And, you know, once again, I think you have to get some level of enjoyment from playing that deck, even if you know it's going to be at a disadvantage that you're still willing to do it. Um, and I was talking at the, um, that mono white deck I was playing in Standard, and, you know, I, I'm playing... Through leagues and so far, I mean, I mean the decks, uh, not leagues, but playing on arena and like I'm, I'm really enjoying the deck. Deck's super fun. I cannot beat a run in seven. It is just impossible. Run seven is a unbeatable bomb that makes a seven seven creature that I can never get through or get around. Um, and you know that's one of those things. If the metagame evolves to a point where every every deck is playing run in seven and I can't actually get through that creature, I'm either going to have to shelf the deck. Or I'm going to have to just say, I know I can't beat this card, but I like this deck so much that even though I this card is unbeatable for me, I'm still going to continue to play it. And once again, I just have to be okay with either of those options. Um, and obviously, I could I could change the deck and you know play some more things that um, deal with the creature or the token a little bit more effectively. Sure, um, but a lot of those things don't go away, right? Like you playing something like Doomsday in a Delver metagame, like, you you could absolutely um, sideboard something like um, Defense Grid, right? And have a little bit more play there. Uh, maybe I play White and I'm playing uh, Teferi, or maybe I'm playing Silence or something like that. Absolutely. But then I'm, I'm, making, I'm making concession in deck building um, that is probably not going to be beneficial for me when I'm playing against some of the, the matchups that theoretically should be good and this kind of goes back to a further an earlier point right um me playing against um you know green white um or playing against lands i probably don't need the silence i probably don't need the 
uh, to Fairy, and I am just diluting what already was a good matchup for me. And there becomes a certain point where me trying to compensate for one really bad matchup is really just getting rid of the point why I would play the deck in the first place. Um, and once again, that's just a, a point you have to be cognizant of as you're trying to play and uh, force this deck into a metagame it probably doesn't belong in. Um, but I will say, so this, the doomsday plan, um, does fit into the last point I wanted to talk about, um, which is being cognizant of the meta that you're actually going to see in paper versus the moto meta. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, we're saying, you know, to keep using the same example, we wouldn't play Doomsday in an event because Blue Red Delver is such a popular deck. In paper, it's going to be less popular than it is online. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess that's actually probably not the best example because Blue Red Delver is actually about yeah. as popular in paper as it is online. Mm -hmm. um, but like in in general, like if if I am going to like play at my local, um, well maybe not my local. Delver is really popular around me, but. Um, <laughs> Oh, you know, in general, like, you go somewhere smaller and, like, that deck's not going to be as popular as it is online. Mm -hmm. And that's going to happen uh, with a lot of things, especially going back to modern. Um, modern's a format where a lot of people just kind of play what they own. They have, like, one deck. They've kind of made it their identity, which, uh, you know, so, like, a lot of people are just going to play the same thing. Um, and so even though we've just kind of gone over for almost an hour and a half now how to, like, kind of attack a metagame and like pick your deck choice it is worth noting sometimes like you're gonna pick hammer time because you're like oh i expect people to be playing like these four decks and hammer time crushes them and then you're gonna get there and people are gonna be playing like i don't know whatever deck they've owned for 10 years like you're gonna play against soul sister and you're like well i didn't see this coming um yeah like our our, our friend daniel um for example has a living net living in deck all foiled beautiful um he also has a different version of living end same deck it's just not foil they can lend that one out um so if people come to um, fnm or he's like you know a friend or something like that he will play living end himself and then lend out living end to a friend um so <laughs> this tournament that has you know 10 people in it has two living end decks like and one thing that is something that happens at these um, local events a little more often um there is a, a store near us um where the one guy has been playing Boggles for for years, and that is the the last time I've seen Boggles played was by him. The time before that was by him again, like six months earlier. Like he's just not going to play put that deck down. Totally cool, but that's something like going into an event that's going to be small. That may be something you can account for. We actually had uh, this is gosh, this is so this is like a couple years ago at this point. Um, we did do like a the Philadelphia Legacy series where we end up playing in this kind of invitational at the end. And the nice thing about it was that we essentially just narrowed down what everyone was playing before the event started, right? Like, we knew the field was going to be about 30 people, um, I think 32 people. Um, but we were able to essentially list out, like, I know these 27 people are going to be playing this. These five people might be playing one, one of these two decks. I'm pretty sure it's going to be one of these two decks. Who knows? But... Um, in a field like that, or, you know, even if you're playing in something like a, like the mocks or something like this, yeah, I mean, you, I guess you did this for the showcase, um, final, right? Where you went through and figured out what everyone was playing and kind of helped 
inform your deck choices based on that. Yep. So like that is definitely valuable information, but like that's that's something that rarely happens. Um, and when it does, you you still have to make that debate. Like, is it worth it for me to 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 change what I'm going to play or how I'm going to play um, based on the importance of this format? Once again, a an F and M might not be the place where you do that, but showcase final absolutely. Let's <laughs> let's go back to the drawing board and and get the best deck for this. Yeah. So like. And I, I still think it's worth picking a good metagame deck. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just, this is another reason why I like being proactive, because, like, uh, I want something powerful that's going to beat the random stuff and then still be good against the decks I expect to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and playing something like Blue Eye Control, obviously, I, it, it's obviously a powerful deck. I think it's been putting up really solid num numbers in Modern right now. Um, but it also is not always going to be the the best deck for for you you know what i mean like um you don't want to take be taking that into every metagame um you know if you're expecting a high number of burn for example like that's not something i want to deal with dredge for example i don't want to have to deal with something like hammer time you can usually even if it's not great right like you still have the option of just turn to double hammer you get good game let's get out of here um and that, that's something that you need to be aware of as a, as a player. All right, we've been talking for a decent amount of time. Do you want to uh, try to wrap up here? Yep. Cool. Um, okay, so usually when we go this long, we don't share a story. Sure. But uh, I do have a quick one at the ready. Okay. To celebrate the six-year anniversary of Dig Through Time being banned in Legacy. <laughs> okay. Uh, we went to an open and... I want to say DC, um, and we're we're at this open, and I'm on I'm on painter, um, and I'd shown up and like uh, you know I played painter for years. I my deck was all foiled out, and uh, I'd really been struggling because like this was like after Treasure Cruise was already banned, and like uh, Dig Through Time was legal, and Omni was like this huge like presence that just dominated everything. Like that deck was. Deck was very good, yeah. It was, oh my god, it was infuriating, and I felt good against uh, most things, but not on me. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was always really annoying because, like, before Deck Through Time, I'd been really good against Mono Blue Omni because I'm just playing seven Pyroblasts. Yeah. Um, so I finally devised my plan. I've got my Black Border uh, Badlands, and I've got my foiled out Slaughter Games. I'm just gonna slaughter games them. Yeah, um, sure. And the event starts off going well for me. Um, and then as the day goes on, like I'm getting the wrong side of variants and mulliganing a bunch, just like missing land drops. Day ends. I missed day two by like one or like, I think I missed it by like one loss or whatever. Uh, so go home. Well, not home, like to the hotel or whatever. I'm like getting my deck ready for, for like the, the, um, classic or whatever it was called mm -hmm. um, i think that might have been back when there were premier iqs still yeah i think so but anyways uh getting my deck ready and i i'm like getting my modern deck ready for the modern premiere and i um i realized that the reason i haven't been uh drawing lands is because i forgot to put my fetch lands in my legacy deck <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Gosh. And I was just playing with like a fifty-five card deck all day, missing five lands. 
Ah, God. Brutal. That's my story, so always check your deck. Yeah, always check your deck. Oh, gosh. All right. Um, I, before we get out of here, I want to make sure we say uh, thank you to our patrons. Uh, once again, we you guys hear the little ad bumper in the beginning of the show, so I'm not going to go through all that fun stuff. Uh, but uh, shout out to Chris Medikevich and Jason Murray for your continued support. Once again, it means a lot to us. Um, we're obviously going to continue doing the show, even if you know nobody listens well maybe not if nobody listens maybe that's a different story but um i'm out if no one's listening <laughs> okay uh but if, if even if no one's supporting us um on um patreon or paypal uh we're still going to do the show because we still enjoy interacting with everybody uh in the magic community um but this does help us um still put um effort towards you know eventually getting uh merch and doing giveaways and um you know continuing to interact with you guys so just thank you very much for uh to chris and jason for uh their support here um all right uh mapson where can people find you uh you can find me at expedition map on twitter and occasionally on twitch uh where can people find you you can find me on twitter at bad luck bandit if you're interested in contacting the show we are on twitter as well at depth underscore podcast um and you should be able to find our um, all of our links there so if you want to email the show or if you want to donate to us on Patreon or PayPal um, or even if you want to check out some of our deck lists and things like that all those links are on our Twitter page alright uh, I guess I'll see you next week I'll see you next week alright bye <laughs>